Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Our quote of the day was said by Hans Christian Andersen. He said, to be of use to the world is the only way to be happy. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirschton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward. Yes, it also helps to inspire me and help me move forward. (laughs) On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the artist Tamara Laporte and the story of Frida Kello. Announcements. Um, Okay, so some of you were concerned that we haven't had a podcast in a month, and that's because I was on vacation. (laughs) I went to North Carolina to visit my mom and had a lovely break. And of course, right before then, I had my big book launch party and my artist studio in my home was open for a big celebration. And we had a lovely, lovely time. And that was to debut my book, The Alchemy of Painting. So that is officially out, and it's on my website if you are interested in that. Um, What else have I got going on? I created two online classes before I left. Uh, One is a freebie that is still available. It's called How to Paint a Rose, and in it you can watch me demonstrate how to create a fairly realistic painting of a rose and that's available for free on alchemyofpainting.com for a limited time. We're not sure how long we're going to leave it up there but just, just a little while so if you're interested go grab it and give it a try and if you like that one then you might be interested in my first official big online class. It's called Flower Painting 101 and in the fall, we're going to have other classes available. And that's my big project now that I'm back in town and back working again that I will be cooking up. Okay, so let's talk about our artist for today. Oh, I'm so excited to get Tamara Laporte to chat with us. Um, and not just because she has a beautiful, beautiful accent. <laughs> But uh, here is Tamara's uh, bio. Tamara Laporte is a creative catalyst of thousands of beautiful people. She is a celebrated mixed media artist and art teacher who's been running her own creative business since 2008. Her work is described as mixed media folk art with a focus on magical realism. It ranges from whimsical children's illustrations to more stylized fantasy art. 
Love, mystery, innocence, hope, spirituality, kindness, and self-connection inspire her work. Symbolism and layering play a big part in her work, and her paintings often contain healing themes, uplifting messages, and inspirational poetry. She believes that the act of creating art can be a gateway into healing and personal growth, and her art classes um, contain an element of self-development as well as learning art techniques. And uh, so I would got to say that her art classes are online, and the big one, which we're going to talk about in the interview is called Life Book. It's a year-long class. So uh, if you fall in love with her, as I have, then you'll want to go to her website, which is willowing.org, W-I-L-L-O-W-I-N-G.org, and um, check out her many different online classes and her work. Tamara is a gentle, kind, fun-loving person, as you will see from our interview, and it's clear to me that when she works with her students, that caring nature really comes across, and that's why so many people love taking her classes and even take them over and over again. So without further ado, here is my interview with Tamara Laporte. Welcome, Tamara. Yay! Hello! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, first question. What is the story of how you became an artist? Wow. I always want want to answer that in a sort of, um, in one of those beautiful ways and say, aren't we all artists all the time? (laughs) (laughs) You're probably looking for a slightly more practical, you know, less uh, spiritual answer. But yeah, so... um, I was interested in, I've been interested in creating from a very young age, and my grandmother was a painter, and my mom, actually, it's funny, because she doesn't consider herself an artist, but she drew, she used to do, be a drawer, and just sort of doodles, but it used to really impress me as a child, okay. so I was interested in art as a child, and but I had also an interest in music, and actually drama, all sorts of creative um, arts, and so um, I even photography as well, I've dabbled in pretty much everything, <laughs> Sing as well, um, and so I had a tendency to um, choose creative subjects in school, in high school. I'm from Holland originally, so I chose um, creative subjects there. I did um, drama, music, and art, and then I attempted a stint at art school in Holland, in Amsterdam, actually. Okay. Yeah, but it was a little bit um, disappointing. Ah. <laughs> I did not have a good time there. Um, And so I let that go for a while and then became, had had, had art sort of uh, on the side for a bit. So I kind of just went, I was sort of maybe the typical starving artist, myth type person, not starving, but I needed to get money to pay my rent. So I was like, okay, I need to find a job. So I was doing, I used to work in market research, really not um, where my passions lay, but I learned a lot and I uh, was able to pay my rent. (laughs) And on the side, I continued to do the art. So I did music. For a while, I focused on music, but I was also still drawing and painting. And I kind of veered in and out of the art forms. And eventually, um, this was probably 2005 or even four. I was writing as well, you see. So I did all sorts. Um, Ended up being incredibly inspired by the art journaling community. And I think that's where it started for me, where the thing that I do now started to really solidify. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, long answer to No, it's lovely. 
Yeah, and that's how it started. And uh, I was at that point in time actually living in Sri Lanka, teaching art, music and drama in a British international school there. But uh, I was also blogging and uh, part of an online community where they were sharing art. And I discovered art journaling. And then, yeah, when we finally moved back to England and I started sharing things on YouTube, people asked me, hey, would you teach? And that was the very beginning of my teaching and art career as it stands now. Okay. Okay. Mm. Great. So back to what you said at the very beginning of <laughs> yes. this, this question, you said, oh, I, I almost want to give you this spiritual answer, this, you know, we are all artists. Yeah. And I totally agree that we are because we're every person on this planet is creative. They're they're creating things and it may not be a painting mm. it it might be the food that they put on their table um okay. and and i feel that that energy is is part of what we're all doing all the time and it it pains me it it hurts me mm. when i hear people say things to me like oh i would create art but i am not an artist and they and they divide up people into artist or not artist uh, yeah. do you have any thoughts on that oh yeah 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 I, I completely agree with you um I find that I, I agree that everyone is creative we're all creative beings and if it manifests as a painter or a, a gardener or uh even parent you know how you parent you know like you there's creativity in pretty much everything and anything and it's I agree with you that it's very painful and sad when someone doesn't consider themselves create themselves creatives because it also shows how um, often our culture and society t- tends to not be set up to um, support or even like um, s- s- nourish creativity in people. You're often because if you look at schools, you're kind of just told, learn this, do that. There's there's some subjects that will allow for creativity and sort of creative thinking, but it's not the most, um, you know, it's not, it's not sort of a big aspect of schooling more than anything. Are you meant yeah. to just memorize stuff and regurgitate it? And that's well done. Now you've got a certificate or something. So it makes me sad too. And I definitely, part of what I do is to, 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 to reignite or connect people with their inner creatives because it's all there. And it, again, it doesn't have to necessarily be art painting or drawing, but um, I even want to, want to go as far as yes, everyone can learn to draw. Cause I have a real frustration around um, society saying that the only people that are allowed to be painters or artists of any kind are those that have talent, quote unquote talent. Right. Right. You know, like if, if you, if you want to learn math, you know, or French, it's very rarely that, rare that they say you can't learn French because you don't have the talent for it. Right. You know, they say, oh, good, good. Just learn and go to France and keep trying and keep practicing. But with, with, with art or music, they often go, no, you shouldn't be doing that because you don't have any talent. And they don't say, well, just practice and do and just try like, like they do with other subjects. Right. right? You just have that sort of, there's often the, the kind of, I don't know, it, 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 you come into school and I remember this really clearly for myself. Um, if you couldn't sing well, automatically, you were requested sort of not to sing <laughs> or you had to just do something else. But I'm like, no, can't you just teach me how to sing? Because you can teach me how to do math. You can teach me how to speak English. You can teach me how to do anything else. But when it comes to creative 
arts, you just go, oh, sorry, you don't have the innate talent. And I feel heartbroken by that because I personally think I didn't have the innate talent <laughs> and I went on anyway. And people sort of fought me on many you know, steps of the way. So my, uh, you know, I mean, they, they, some teachers were sort of somewhat encouraging, but in a slightly condescending way, <laughs> right. you know, that's great you're doing well oh yeah you know and then uh and then in our school you know it was just i didn't enjoy it there but it was also oh you know i don't know mm -hmm, because there was supposedly not that innate spark but th this innate spark that we're meant to have you know could not just be seen or whatever other people people deal with stuff right so i know what i was going through when i was 18 it was a lot of stuff <laughs> as we all do when we're teenagers and sure. um you know, and so I wish that people would invest in young people to say you can do anything you want just if you put your mind to it and you practice. Sure, some people have it slightly easier. Don't get me wrong. There are definitely a couple of people that are born and can draw the most insanest things, you know, that you've ever seen without having practiced. I know that doesn't mean you shouldn't also work on it and try it yourself, you know, and, and that's also doable for other people. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, oh, right on. Yeah. Yes, you're passionate about this the way I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I and I also feel that, um, like you, I went to art school and did all of that, and I learned some great skills. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that that oftentimes the drive is um, is is different than what we are going for now. Mm. We we're going for healing. We're going for learning about ourselves and expressing mm. ourselves in a way that we can't with words. Mm. This is mm. a visual language. Yeah. And it's it's just, um, it's not all about the product, but about the process. Oh, yeah. oh, and, totally. and so, um, you know, I had the same experience of you, you know, went to school and did that mm. rigid stuff. Um, but... There's, there's something so much more to it than, mm. than that experience. Mm. Um, and I also think, you know, you don't have to go to an art school to learn how to do it or to make it um, something that's going to be fulfilling in your life. Yeah, yeah, that's key. That's the key what you're saying yeah. it, uh, for it to be fulfilling in your life. Mm -hmm. Look, if, if you set out, like if you want to be an artist that sells their art in galleries or something, if that's your aim and goal, mm -hmm. then then there's then that's something you can pursue in that sort of more traditional way. You know, that, that's okay. It's okay to have that goal. I'm not saying no one should have that goal. That's all fine. But um, if you're using or you're, if you're engaging in the creative process also for completely different reasons, right. such as healing and growth and personal growth and self-fulfillment, I really like that word, then it really doesn't matter what the end product looks like because it's not for sale or it's not for sharing with others. And a lot of the time, creative um, product when I was younger as well I made a painting so that really my mum would say wow I'm so proud of you you know like there's it's, seriously there's such yeah. deep you know like deep 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 stuff that goes on for us when we create things I mean when I teach people it's uh, and I can see the pain that people go through when they make something they don't like you know right. when the outcome of the painting isn't nice the story is often I'm not good enough or I'm not a good enough person. I should do this. So it could create a lot of pain for people. And this is interesting. See, the thing is, it's cool because creativity and healing goes together in the sense you can really explore that if you're willing and open. Right. <laughs> but 
if you have the the aim, oh, if I make these paintings, I'll be accepted, or I'm looking for approval, or I'm looking for the, the love of my mother, which I know sounds deep and big, but that is the case for quite a lot of people, because also many people have been told when they were young, oh, your painting is terrible, or don't stop singing, oh, it sounds awful, you know? So these stories, I think, we've created when we were little, and they're kind of these little inner people inside of us still that have that voice. You know, that voice is still there, the inner critic. And so... um it's uh, for me, it's so important to look at yeah, what your aim is. And also if you're finding a lot of pain in the process, because that can happen. I've seen it for many of my students is you can really look at that and actually heal, you know, heal that if you're willing to kind of engage with it, because what often happens is people give up. So if the, you will make paintings you don't like, right, if you just start. Unless you're one of those um, geniuses that can make paintings straight away, you will initially not make paintings you like. And that needs to be okay for you if you want to come to a point where you do make paintings you like. And also, I always say, shouldn't be the point of it. (laughs) That's a really kind of contradictory thing. Because if the aim is only I'm going to be okay, I'm going to make amazing paintings eventually, you'll be quite rigid in your approach. If you're just sort of letting go of the outcome and the process, your paintings will look better. But it can't be the point. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I know that crazy because you have that attachment to i want to make amazing paintings and that gives me good feelings or people are impressed or whatever or i can sell it but if you have that aim and that sort of tight attachment to that outcome you'll be rigidly creating and it won't be a joy necessarily and you know and and the moment you sort of let go a bit you could you have the freedom to experiment with color your own emotions what's going on why are you responding to all this and usually when you allow yourself to be in that space the outcome will be more fluid possibly you know all, all of it than if you have the other approach but it's hard to get to that that inner state because i've struggled with all of that oh yeah oh, <laughs> so i'm very aware you know yeah yeah oh me too me too all right. Okay. So the next question or second question is when you're creating a piece of artwork, what's inspiring you? And um, I'm thinking of, you know, you have all these characters you create and, you know, this uh, young girls and, and, you know, I look at them and I think I could write a book about each of these characters, oh, you know, and, yeah. but what, <laughs> What, where is that symbolism coming yeah. from? Um, yeah. What are you thinking about when you create them? Yeah. Well, I have l- explored this quite a bit. I, I run a course called Ever After where we're doing looking into style development. Okay. And so I um, I had to – I did already. I knew this already, but I dug even more deeply into my own story and symbolism and characters for the purposes of this course because I wanted to really kind of get it, right? And I uh, think that – on some level, I'm constantly recreating my childhood. So I had a, I was bullied a lot as a child. And um, the characters in my stories, you might see some people call the characters sad, but to me, they're wistful and kind. So I, they're either a version of me or they are a character that is lovingly looking at me with usually an animal of some sorts. Um, and what I'm trying to convey, or I often get in touch with, I feel, you know, like I get in touch with a lot of the stresses of life and, uh, the, how scary life can be mm-hmm. and what I do in my paintings is I create s- scenarios or sceneries where everything feels comfortable j- okay kind gentle sweet mm-hmm. these things and it's really to provide myself with a place of c- comfort and um, 
I can be there with the painting while I'm creating. It's sort of a conversation with me and the painting. I go in and out, but it provides me with an ins- uh, a sort of comfort. And uh, I'm also connecting with innocence. Innocence is there a lot for me. So it's usually childlike, but not qu- not quite um, characters. And uh, yeah, and then in, there will also be symbols like I know the hearts and stars are always there because that to me obviously hearts are related to love and compassion and kindness stars have that sort of magic so there's a childlike wonder that I'm, I think I'm trying to convey but it's not very intentional I don't sit here and going I'm, I'm, I'm looking for childlike wonder I'm usually connected to an emotion in myself mm-hmm. um, okay. and, uh, and looking for a place to rest almost from the stresses of life I mean I know it sounds really massive and deep but that's what's really there yeah <laughs> well, I can tell. I can tell. As it goes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I've heard great things about your online classes, um, including you've got one that's very popular. It's a year long class called Lifebook. Um, what do you cover in your classes? Uh, what are you currently offering that the listeners can participate in? Um, and uh, I guess this is several parts to this question, <laughs> but yeah. your Lifebook course, is it different every year so that people can? Mm-hmm. Uh, do it again and again or is it the same um how does it work okay right thank you for asking (laughs) so lifebook is like my biggest most amazing project that i started in 2012 so it's been running for six years and we're going into our seventh year okay and um the the course the title course is lifebook an honoring and celebration of you so it's a year-long course where you you're you're getting weekly lessons usually one sometimes two um uh, yeah that's a lot Wow. Yeah, yeah, weekly. Yeah, weekly. And this year, next year, we're going to branch out because I'm going to bring in more other healing modalities as well to to really support people more holistically in an rounded way. I'll, I'll explain what I mean. So the course was intended to use creativity to um, help people grow personally, just as what we just uh, we were just discussing. So the healing and the the healing and the personal development power of creativity. Okay. So. Um, I have invited every year I invite about between 16 to 23 or so additional contributing artists. Oh, my goodness. That's a yeah, lot. It's, mass- <laughs> it's a massive undertaking. Yeah, it's okay. huge. And it's fun because what happens, so a student that comes on the course learns from all these artists, both creative um, techniques. So we'll be have, it's basically project based. So every, every week I might run a project on how to do this particular girl and I'll have an underlying personal development um, theme. So it might be that for, usually in the first week we're looking at how to let go of stuff that is no longer serving us. And we may or may not weave that into the painting. Or you might, you know, emphasize, let's say, your word for the year in, you might weave that into the painting, or you do something separate. Like so, so we're creating, basically, we're doing two things. We're doing, we're working on our creativity, and we're working on basically becoming more wholesome, happier humans through um, some of the, the personal development exercises. So I work on things like creative block, uh, how to deal with the inner critic, how to, f- uh, cre- how to go through self-empathy process if you're upset with yourself or if you're just upset in general, these kind of things. Um, uh, we, we do one exercise, which is um, transforming limiting beliefs into liberating beliefs. And then I usually have a, an art activity that will complement that um, and or like I just said, you incorporate what you've learned into your painting to affirm, um, you know, what you've learned or you want to, you've learned that you've, I don't know, won a X, Y, Z. And you, so you put that into your painting to, to let manifest it or something like that. And so I um, am the, the host. So I provide uh, between 
it depends a little bit on the year, but because this year I was writing the book on life book as well, so I had to be less involved in like actually running the course, like the the classes. But I was involved. I do between sort of six to twelve lessons every year on life book, and then the other lessons are by different artists, and they all have their own different styles and techniques. So I try to bring in a variety of different art styles. So you'll have people that are abstract artists, you'll have whimsical artists, you have journal artists, maybe lettering. Uh, sometimes you have someone who does something on the jelly plate, you know. So we play with the different um, um, supplies, different styles, different approaches. So each of these amazing teachers has their, has their ways of dealing with the struggles of life, or let's say, how do they deal with the inner critic? They might bring in an exercise, how they deal with that. And so it's full with amazing kind of uh, <laughs> offers to help someone grow both creatively and personally. And next year we're going to do, I'm not overloading it because I know that some people are like, don't, I'm just, ah, you know, they feel overwhelmed. But I just wanted to like support them. And it's only, it's going to stay the same price. So that no one has to, they, they can ignore it if it's, uh, you know, if it's too much. But I want to bring in some stuff like around uh, physical things like yo a couple of yoga videos that can help again with the, with the personal development element of what we're doing on LifeWalk and things like, um, so yoga, we have someone who will do some dance, like, create um shaking off sort of uh blocks through dance and then um we'll do some story writing as well to help you process stuff and we have someone who's going to work with archetypes see so i'm bringing that in next year it's the first time we're doing but the core of the course stays the same and then we're just adding a couple of things in i can't remember your other questions (laughs) 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 yeah gosh i mean life book sounds intense and, and and deep and it's yeah. you know yeah, you, you <laughs> really it, true, it yeah. might uh, open up wounds but then heal them yeah. again oh. and yeah yes, yes yes although see the cool thing is because of course i also understand that some people are not ready for the personal development side side of things so this is actually an optional element so i'll say all right guys today i want to show you how to deal with let's say the inner critic and if you have that horrible word and whatever you know the sense you're not good enough and if someone is just not up for wanting to even confront that or if they are I don't know, done. They, they are fine with their inner critic. They can just skip that bit and just go straight to the art project because it's not like you can't, you can do the art project without working on yourself. So it's optional um, for people who are like, I don't want to do anything like that or are already like, I have people that say, I'm already healed. I'm totally fine. What are you talking about? <laughs> just learn how you do the face. I'm like, cool, just come and do the face. <laughs> but you know, well, it's quite, it's quite amazing if you're in that space where you're fully and totally and utterly healed. I mean, my experience in life is that most, more people than not are struggling with, let's say, the inner critic or creative blocks or, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm really wanting to address that and help people with that. But yeah, you also asked if it was the same every year. So it's not. Everything is new each year. I mean, there's a couple of little things I repeat, such as my color theory lesson and, um, Maybe the meditation. So I include meditation. So if it's the meditation on transforming limiting beliefs into liberating beliefs, that's a that's a that's a meditation I repeat. But the art lessons are always new, even mine. Okay. Well. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I bet because um, you said you're going into the seventh year, mm. um, it's just naturally grown and changed mm. as you have grown and changed. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are there any specific ways it has changed since you first began 
Yeah, well, yeah. Other one, than you're about to yeah. add this this element, you just yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, no. Well, I mean, one thing that one thing that changes if you run something for many years. The first is you run it, and then you have a thousand problems, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you go, oh no, oh oh, and so all sorts of issues. So we've become as a team. I work with two wonderful uh, ladies, Gracie and Maddie. So we've become as a team incredibly good at streamlining and and uh, streamlining how we present the course to people, and Pr- uh, working through possible issues that we've seen happen over the over the years. So if some, I don't know, even practical things like people can't get into the Facebook group, I don't know, something little like that. So I'm just saying practically we've become better. You, you just automatically become better and better every year at running a massive project. Yes, it is massive. It's joined by uh, three and a half thousand people approximately each year. So wow. it's you need to have a strong system in place that means that it's not going to, See, a small problem is always a big problem when it involves three and a half thousand people. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not just, oh, I have 10, 10 people and it's just one little problem. It's actually, no, it will knock on. So you have to like be have a, have a really great system for how you present everything. And so we've become better and better at that. Um, I have also personally, I mean, my own art has grown and changed. So the other thing that changes for me is because I get new passions each year. So suddenly I'm really into inks or something, or then I'm really into whatever. So that changes each year, but that's quite fun because <laughs> then people are just sort of on my journey with me. There's some people who've been on Lifebook since the beginning. So they've just seen me personally grow. And then I have also really solidified the program. So uh, uh, for a couple of years, I kind of changed the themes around and was a bit more like, oh, I, pref- I enjoy or I said just sort of a little bit um, loose about it. I was like, that sounds good. Let's do that. But now I have more of a, a program that really centers around the personal development things I want to discuss. So I'm now keeping it the same. The other years I was changing it around a bit and stuff. But now I'm every year I want the first month to focus on, you know, let's say letting go and manifesting or something, something like that. So I'm sticking with a program from that perspective. The themes are very broad, but I've um, written that up. That was last year, the year before. So in that sense, it's changed. But really when it comes to changing it, it's sort of solidifying or kind of really looking at what really works and what hasn't and then focusing on works, what has worked and then kind of solidifying that or bringing that out more, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I'm just imagining. Okay, because <laughs> my classes that I teach are all you know, one-on-one in-person classes, although I just started, um, I made a an online class, my first one, uh, last mm. month. And mm. is it hard um, to communicate things online with people i bet i bet a lot of these folks who've been with you for years and years they feel like they know you you know yeah. but but it might be hard to know that you or to, to feel that you know them um mm-hmm. i'm just um yeah. imagining that i can hear in your voice like you you want to support people and help people um and how does that work with online classes yeah. differently okay so so um it's an interesting. It's an interesting question. So, I'm very present. So I'm very present online. As in, I'm always. I'm lucky that I'm like one of these people that likes being on Facebook a lot. Because <laughs> there's some people that are like, oh, I have to be on Facebook. So I'm. I'm very present and I see what's happening. And um, so, there's people know that you can't have very close interaction with me constantly if you're on a large course like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, if I'm on my smaller courses, you get more of an uh, an intimate 
connection or a relationship with me. But I, uh, we, we are very, uh, so, well, what I'm trying to say is this, uh, because the three of us are manning, like any issues that come up, people can come to us and we can help them through it. So if someone has any kind of issue, I will be involved. It's not like I ignore it. And luckily, because we're running it well, there's not a lot of people that have like lots of issues so that I need to be attending to it. But most of yeah. because also I do put a lot of my energy into my videos. I don't know if you've ever watched any of my videos, but I have. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I chat, chat, chat like I do now. And people feel, I don't know, I think they get feel sort of not supported per se, but they feel like they often describe it as if they're with me in the studio, they're with me when I do my art. And I kind of, I, true, I know, I know that I don't get that one-to-one real intimate connection with people, but I care so deeply about everyone. And I think that comes across. So I think that's, that's a, it's not a, it wouldn't replace an in-person, let's say class or something, but then, yeah, that's the, the, the that's the difference. But I think people still get nourished and support, feel supported and nourished uh, quite a bit by how, however way we run it. All right. All yeah. right. Cool. Yeah. What do you most often tell your students? Uh, what advice are you giving more often than anything else? <clears throat> yeah, it's, um, to be kind to yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is really. And uh, and then I help them. It's particularly where where they struggle with this is not working out. I'm not good enough. I feel scared or ashamed or these kind of these kind of things come up a lot for people. And so I have, uh, I, you know, I will also sort of be more practical about inner critic and things like that. But I talk a lot about kindness, self-compassion, self-love, self-connection, self-awareness. How can you work through negative judgments of yourself? That sort of thing. So but the, the bulk of it, the ultimate crux of that story is can we find can we can we respond compassionately to ourselves in whatever scenario we're in? Really, that's the ultimate sort of message. Yep. <laughs> I'll second that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if you know, yeah. if if that, because if I think I would think that's the ultimate. Um, what is it? The ultimate sort of I don't know antidote to anything. So you're in a stressful situation, or you self-judge anything. If there is a, a, if you're able to truly, completely, compassionately be present to your own pain. You you've won most of the game. Do you know what I mean? You won. What I mean by that, you you you. That's sort of like a skill that I think is so helpful in life. If you're able to just go, wow, I'm really in pain. Like just be present to yourself with a compassionate presence. It's not not a lot of people can do this. It's not that easy. And so it's something I I still struggle with, like learning. You know, like you're. But we fall into all sorts of judgments, either of self or other or whatever. Right. So it's a big thing, and it it's, it relates to the creative process, but also to the, just wider things in life. So it's like one of my biggest <laughs> aim or uh, thing to try and relay. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. Definitely. Oh, okay, I can't believe it. We're already at our last question. Um, <laughs> And that is, what is your favorite art book or personal art story that's happened to you that you could share? Yeah, I was uh, thinking about that earlier. Um, so currently, this is, uh, this, this is not a plug, okay, but my current favorite art book is my own book. That is <laughs> I just sent me the proof. That's why they sent me it in like two days ago in PDF form. And I was like, oh, my God, it looks so amazing. <laughs> So I, I it's just I don't know if you know so I've got this book about life book effectively and it's just come out and it's really uh, I'm really happy with it so that's currently truly my favorite art book but when you ask about a personal um, 
art story? Do you mean what's happened to me and that was significant in my life? Sure. I mean, it could have been a moment when you had a breakthrough um, or or a student had a breakthrough. Yeah, I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one. This has I have I've shared this one before, but it is still a really moving, moving or really significant to me, which was when I was in my early mid 20s. I lived in London and I was painting large on canvas often. And I used to love create painting, but I deeply despised most of the paintings that came out of my painting process, like deeply despised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait for it. Wait, wait. And I despised it so much that it it would also depress me. So I'd see the painting and I'd make it mean I'm not a very good person. I'm, you know, I, I used to equate my abilities to paint to how good a person I was, so how worthy I was. So Imagine, so every time I look at a painting that I thought I deemed horrific, uh, it was the equivalent to feeling that I was horrific. So it actually caused quite deep depression in me quite a lot of the time. So at some point, this became so bad that I told myself, I have to stop painting. I can't do this anymore. It's not good for my health. And I couldn't find another way around it. I thought I'd just have to stop painting. So I made myself a date and I, um, uh, with myself to do one final painting session. So it's almost to, to symbolically say goodbye to it. And I also had very little money at that point in time. And so I had bought three, I had three primary colors and the black and the white. And I just sat there and I just um, went, okay, this is the last time I, I'm going to paint. And that's really dramatic. And it was very dramatic. I did it all really like, <laughs> so really, it was like, I'm going to say goodbye to painting now. I will never pick up a paintbrush again. And as I painted, I was in a very, very different mindset than uh-huh. before. And what happened was the outcome this time was a painting that I liked. And this was such a surprise to me because I was like, huh? And then I realized, so this is my breakthrough moment, which I also touched on earlier, which was if I don't attach to the outcome and tell myself it must look good, why it must look good. And then, you know, my mom will love me or this person will think I'm amazing. If I don't have that mindset and that intention, I'm much more free and loose and easygoing when I paint. And all of a sudden, this wasn't the point, but all of a sudden I made a painting that I liked. And so I didn't give up on painting that day. Now, it doesn't mean that I then painted paintings that I liked all the time. I I do want to add that in. It wasn't a magical miracle story where that just constantly happened, okay? But it was a key moment in my life because I was done with painting. And I had this wow moment of, oh, if I just be more chill, you know, not so attached to outcome, this is what the outcome, this was actually the outcome changes, (laughs) you see? I don't attach to it. And so that the, the, it was a key moment in my life because it meant I continued painting. And if that hadn't happened, I might not have been talking to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. It's true. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yes, I think we definitely uh, mm-hmm. can cause ourselves a lot of suffering if we're too attached mm-hmm. to the outcome and we are not okay. willing to be flexible and just go with the flow and and have the real magical yeah. meaty good stuff happen yeah. to, to allow it to happen yeah. yeah yeah and people can really examine that you can examine why are you painting why are you painting it's a good question to ask yeah. what do you want from it what do you want from it yes. and often people say you know it's good to i mean i love this this kind of inquiry inquiring process because sometimes it's you know not that obvious to people and then it it opens up sort of all sorts of interesting doors to learn about yourself Yes, 
Yeah, and if you can answer for yourself the question of why you want to do it, suddenly mm -hmm. you have direction with your painting and you know yeah. what even what subjects to paint. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, oh, good stuff, good stuff. Well, yeah. Tamara Laporte, you are so stinking awesome and I love you. <laughs> thank yeah, I you. Love you too. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and taking the time to let me pick your brain and ask you these questions. Um, I'm sure it will help other people so i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me thank you so much it was a joy talking to you and thanks for having me on your show i feel honored and now for the story of frida kahlo this is a true biography shortened of course <laughs> so frida kahlo was born in what is now mexico city in 1907 she thought she wanted to study medicine, but became engrossed in art after she was in a traffic accident as a teenager. While riding a bus in 1925, Kalo was injured when the vehicle collided with a trolley car. A metal pole pierced her stomach, her back, collarbone, and pelvis were broken. After the accident, she was put into a full-body cast for three months. Kalo began painting while recovering from the injuries to pass the time and to express everything she was thinking and feeling. Her mother had a special painting easel made so that she could work while lying down in bed. Many of her paintings were self-portraits filled with symbolic images within her body. A few years after the accident, Kalo <laughs> took four of her paintings to an artist she admired named Diego Rivera. She asked him, for his opinion of her work and for his advice. Riviera praised Kalo's work and encouraged her to continue painting. The two artists fell in love and were married in 1929. Their relationship had many ups and downs. Kalo was especially saddened when she had several stillborn children. Kalo never fully recovered from the accident. She suffered chronic pain because of it throughout her life. She was able to walk again for many years until her right leg became infected with gangrene and had to be amputated. Shortly after this surgery, she died of poor health at the age of 47. Okay, uh, so as I said, this is a true story. I'm sure a lot of you um, know about Frida Kahlo's accident and... Um, those basic points that happened in her life. I do want to recommend that you read not just this little synopsis that's in my book, The Alchemy of Art Stories for the Classroom, but go get her personal diary. It's a journal that's got lots of um, scribbles and drawings in it. It's called The Diary of Frida Kahlo, an Intimate Self-Portrait. It's really, really good. Some of the images are... are um, think about her stillborn children and, and how much she wanted to have children. They're very, very moving. Um, what I get out of the story of Frida Kahlo is, well, there, there's several lessons to be learned. One is how much um, artwork can be used as a healing tool for people and for, for processing all that they're going through and 
Frida Kahlo obviously had to process a lot of tragic, um, chronic pain within her body and, and things not turning out the way she wanted as far as being able to have children. Um, and she used art to express herself and to heal and to um, show how she was feeling about those experiences. Um, I, I also think it's just wonderful how her mother had this special painting easel made for her um, so that she could paint while she was in bed. It's must have been um, just a very kind and loving act to put that all together so that her her daughter could do something and and focus on something and and it obviously helped because then she continued even after she was no longer bedridden another lesson to be learned from this is how i read an account that was made by a friend of hers, a personal friend who had known her pretty well. And I was really shocked by it. Um, And the person said that she was really fun-loving and charming and great to be around. And this surprised me because I think about her work and it's so much of it's very dark and sad. And to hear that she had been a fairly jovial, fun-loving person was surprising to me. Um... But then again, maybe it shouldn't be surprising. <laughs> maybe. I, I think she's just often depicted that way in um, in TV and and all of that. And we, we think of her as sad because of the nature of her artwork. But this idea that, oh, she was, she was actually pretty fun-loving is, it was shocking and uplifting to me uh, to think that somebody who had had all of that chronic pain could still be fun to be around. <laughs> it's horrible to say. I am, I'm sad that I had made that assumption. Um, but I think it's a testament to how art can be used to process tragedy and to move forward. It was certainly an important part of her life and my hope for you listeners is that you will make art an important part of your life. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already have, (laughs) but I just feel that for myself and, and so many other people, it can be uplifting and it can help us to move forward, help us see what we're afraid of, help us see what we want. And, this is why (laughs) I encourage you to find your artistic voice. This concludes our Alchemy of Art podcast for today. May these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.